Welcome in, everybody, to this episode of Discard for Magic. As always, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm the other host, James, or Jexic. And today we have with us a two-time tournament champion and faction expert, Prophet. Hey, how's it going? So, Prophet, why don't you start out and tell us just like a little bit of how you came to Summon at Wars? Because you didn't play first edition, right? No, I, I did not. Um, so, I first learned about Summoner Wars when I was, I think it was around COVID time, so 2020, and I had started picking up board gaming because um, at, during that period, that was just basically your only get-togethers. It's just these smaller gatherings, and um, I, I felt like board gaming kind of helped pass the time, um, and so... When I got into it, I was watching reviews from Shut Up, Sit Down. Uh, they are these two European uh, board game reviewers who were really critical, but also gave really good perspective on whether or not you would like a board game. Um, and one of the reviews they did was on Summoner Wars, the second edition. And what really piqued my interest was that it was a combination of a card game, but on a board, which is probably the first I've ever seen it. And so what really drew to me to it outside of the artwork was sort of the seller review that the reviewers gave on the game. They basically had very little to no critiques about the game itself. And I think the, the toughest thing they said about the game was that eventually your skill gap with one another might make it less enjoyable for you to play it since it is a two-player game. Um, so never played first edition, but... Always heard about it. <laughs> I was gonna, I feel that critique is fairly valid, as we've kind of found. You know, just that there's definitely skill gaps that arise and make it hard to find good matches with people you, that you might just meet. You know, um, I think that's very true. Did you uh, ever watch their first edition review? Did you ever seek uh, that out? Uh, I felt like. I did. Oh man, I can't remember. I, I felt like it was an, a much older video. Very um, old, yeah. Yeah, it was like they they changed a lot, and I I I didn't even know these guys have been reviewing games for so long. But uh, I think I started watching a, a bit of it. Um, but I I don't think I got through the video. I probably got distracted. But interestingly enough, so I, I traveled to Boston from time to time to visit my girlfriend, and uh, we actually went to a local board game store. And and this was when I was in the, the I don't want to say my prime, not my prime, but I was, I was obsessed with Summoner Wars. Um, and so we, we paid the entrance fee. I think they charged by either the, the hour or just the daily pass. And so one of the first games that I saw was Summoner Wars, but the first edition one. <laughs> and I was like, well... <laughs> there's never a better time to, to, you know, try this out. And so, um, you know, she, she was one of the first people to ever play the second edition with me. And so she knew the rules and they, they really aren't that different in, in first edition. Um, so we, we pulled out the box. Uh, I mean, we brushed up on maybe some minor differences and then we just started playing. I think, um, she was playing the cloaks, uh, and I was, uh, uh what is that? The shadow elves. There we go um so they were very different and the, the artwork the a lot of the mechanics it, it it was familiar but but not quite 
you know. Um, and so I, I did like the kind of what the theme was going for, but I can tell kind of how much the second edition has fundamentally improved the formula and and kind of streamlined the action. Um, so I did have a little bit of experience playing 1E in that sense, but it came after playing the second edition. So. <laughs> One of the few people who could say that, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you played Second Edition, did you instantly like love it, or did it take you a while to fall in love with it? Oh, I I absolutely fell in love with it like immediately. I think um so one of my my best friends in real life, the the one who drew um we were talking about it earlier, the one who drew my profile picture, uh he's the one I board game with pretty much constantly, and so. I picked up this game. I said, hey, you got to try this out. It's like Magic the Gathering, but chess. And um, we we picked up the decks. Uh, my first deck was Fallen Kingdom. His was Vanguard's. It, it, felt, it felt like a very classic matchup. And, and immediately fell in love with it. Like, it, we, we wanted to try all the decks, try different matches. And um, we, play, we played through the night. And um, we didn't even really know that there was online app or community at all right like this is to us just another board game we would play um it wasn't until we did some more research because we're like man there's there's got to be like somebody out there because this is the second edition that has like done videos or, or put out some content um and to my surprise it there wasn't too much um felt like we i mean we saw couple of maybe videos from content creators but it, it didn't feel like there was all too many resources out there and so um, i ended up stumbling upon the league or summoner war zone and from there i was like well there there is a an entire community that plays competitively i've got to get into this um, and so uh, that's kind of how I, I started but yeah back back to the question Immediately fell in love with it. Um, I wanted to do nothing but play it all the time. And I think it being online and asynchronous just kind of made addiction so much more possible. Like, I I definitely feel like you've specialized in certain factions. I remember one of the first times I played against you, you kept playing Sky Spear Avians when they came out. Do you usually pick one to kind of focus on when a new pair comes out? Or do you like to try them both? So... I do like to try them both. Um, I think generally I lean towards one more than the other. And so whenever a, a pair of factions come out, I'll play like a couple of uh, introductory games with them. But like with every release, I tend to just like one more than the other. Um, and it, it it's, I guess a part of me just really wants to like master the deck. And so I'll play it constantly over and over again. Um, maybe there's a mechanic of the deck that gives me an itch I just really want to scratch. I think with, you know, the Sky Spear Avians, uh, the flight mechanic was just really fun and fluid and um, sort of solved that kind of puzzle-solving uh, itch I wanted to scratch all the time. And so, yeah, I tend to I tend to focus on one deck at a time. I think that kind of, it kind of goes against being competitive at times because what ends up happening is I play that deck throughout the entire release. So when Fungal Dwarves and Eternal Council was released, I only played Fungal Dwarves. I, I played maybe two Eternal Council games total. So like whenever I play someone who goes as Eternal Council, I just have no idea what they're gonna do. I just I 
I know your cards, but like, you know, I'm just hoping I, I don't die every turn. So, yeah, I'm on the other side of that one. I play more Eternal Council these days, but even then, I kind of skipped that release. I, I was real busy at work and then came back when Brub was released. But, <laughs> <laughs> and I've never played Fungal Dwarves ever, so I don't. <laughs> I don't I don't know either of those factions really. I mean Uh yeah, same thing with Sand Goblins and Obsidian Dwarves. I've played like maybe two or three OD games, but Sand Goblins was it's just my my cup of tea and so ended up just playing that faction to death and uh I think that's just like a habit I've built now. Um cuz I think with uh this most recent release, I've only played high elves. I rarely touch swamp orcs. So um I tell myself I'll get around to it, but I just I just never do, and so I, I yeah. <laughs> so recently, the deck building tournament finished, but also the base deck tournament finished fairly recently. And you only pick so many factions to take in these tournaments. How did you choose from these factions which ones to pick, and did you have any regrets with the ones you picked? Yeah. Um. So. Generally, there are maybe one or two core factions that I'm very comfortable with. I feel have a lot of good matchups, and you know, generally, I feel like these are good competitive factions. Um, now, which one or two factions these are kind of depends on what's I don't want to say meta, but what's meta at the moment. But um, I, I generally stick to a core group of factions I'm comfortable with. So, like. In this most recent tournament, I would I would say Sand Goblins, Fungal Dwarves. I played these factions the most. I feel very pretty good about bringing them to a tournament. Um, and then even before that, I've always felt very comfortable, and I felt like cloaks were pretty competitive. And so, just about every tournament, I'd have a core group of of factions. Um, it, it really depends because I think like. It wasn't until like the last two or three tournaments that we really stuck to the four faction format, but um, whether there's one or two extra, I've started to kind of challenge myself to bring one of the release actions for that tournament. So in this most recent one, it was High Elves. Um, I didn't do it in the prior one, uh, but generally, you know, when Cloaks was released, Fungal Doors were released, I would just pick one of the factions that were being released and, I, and I'd take them. Um, I think it's interesting because, you know, your lack of experience with that faction is kind of compensated by the fact that other people haven't really faced them all too much. And so I think you probably stand better because of that, because you probably are playing this faction over and over again. And uh, not many people have a good understanding of how they're specific. Let's say you take, I don't know, High Elves and someone brings um, Polar Dwarfs. They might not know how to use their faction to kind of counter high elves or or whatever right so yeah i'd say in the final like water d definitely said that um that was the one that he was most disadvantaged in because he hadn't gotten the reps in against high elves so that that makes sense yeah yeah and even though high elves is i would say on the more complex side you you probably are baffling your opponent a lot more than you're baffling yourself and so i think you do stand to gain something so i think um, we're starting to see releases for two of the newer factions, like Mountain Vargath and the Crimson Order, right? So very likely I pick one of them and take them to the tournament, even, you know, not really touching these decks all too much. 
So I feel like that's a fun thing to do. And then I'll, I'll just pick some of the other core factions I'm comfortable with and see how they turn out. Do you have a inkling of which one you're going to take so uh, everybody else can have a chance to beat you practice against that <laughs> one? <you know? laughs> um, so I, I am part of the playtesting server and I, I do playtest. And I think from my experience, and I, I don't do it all too much because my schedule is busy, but I remember liking Mountain Vargath bit more so i i'm leaning towards them um so it might be you might see some goats <laughs> i think i'll take them too I'm, I'm not leaning towards them i'm charging towards them oh yeah <laughs> that's the right way to do it <laughs> this might be my favorite release so far i think i like both factions quite a bit hmm. yeah yeah i think they bring some unique things to the table so I think, the, yeah, it seems like the releases just keep getting better and tighter, which you wouldn't expect to be happening. It seems like you'd get to a situation where, like, they'd run out of ideas or it'd be harder to balance things, but it seems like things just keep getting better, so. And I don't mean it's better as in stronger, but just as better as in, like, the design. I don't know. It's it's just looking good. No, I agree. So, in the tournament, you went 25-2. and two. Which matchup? Or match did you think was your hardest? You only lost two of them. Yeah, well, I guess, so one of those was from the f- final match, like the, the best two out of three. The, I guess, I w- so my initial thought on this was the hardest match I had leading up to the finals was the one I lost. <laughs> and uh, I, I think it speaks for itself, but it's it's not quite, I mean, my, my I, I felt like I had good opponents all around. Um, the one I did lose, I was playing Fungal Dwarves, and I ended up facing Swamp Orcs, um, and it was a tough matchup for me because I think Muglug, their summoner, was able to just easily one-shot my beast. And more importantly, being so summoner-centric, Fungal Dwarves was really just lacking the the fodder they needed to really grow their, their army. Um now, I also felt like my the consistency of your draw really matters when when you're playing a deck that the ecosystem around it. I've had this discussion before, and I know you know RNG is going to be bad all around for every deck, but Fungal Doors, I feel like even though some of their ceiling is is kind of exaggerated when when you just see this massive mushroom grow on the board, they're really held back by the fact that if you don't get specific cards early on, your entire game plan will just fall apart. And so I think in that specific matchup, I struggled to make it work because I drew uh, two of my epic events, the Spore releases, and I had no Spores. I had the starting one, but like it just felt so wasteful <laughs> to only bring back one. And so... I, I I was getting greedy and I felt like, you know, my, my opponent was making all the right moves and I just kept holding on to hope that I would draw into another spore carrier. I never did. And um, it wasn't until I decided to, you know, bring back one um, before it, it was just too late. And so um, I'd say that was probably one of my harder matches um, in, in the tournament. And I ended up losing because I... No, it was a mix of me not being realistic with myself and trying to squeeze value. Um, and then I think my opponent just knew how to handle uh, my faction. And so I, I, I kind of struggled a bit there. 
That's fair. Yeah, I saw your draw was pretty poor in that uh, game for sure. You drew like both spores, demand and a monstrosity, all in the same turn, and that's yeah. just uh, it's rough to deal with as the fungal dwarves. Yeah, yeah, it was a uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> For the championship, you chose Sand Goblins, Fungal Dwarves, and High Elves. Do they let you choose any factions you want? Do you choose just from the four that you take into the tournament? How does that work? So this was an interesting one. Um, I, I, I knew this from the, the prior tournament because it's the, the same exact format. And so um, basically the order that you pick your factions when entering the order that they they line you up for your final match so the fourth faction is excluded and then one two and three are matched up with your opponents one two and three unless there's a mirror match and um in this case there wasn't any mirror match but um this was something i was debating when i was signing up for the tournament it's not only which factions would i take it's it's which factions would i take to to the finals and in which um, order which order right so you're kind of metagaming a little bit here and, and trying to think, okay, you know, do I do I bring my strongest faction first and go against someone else's strongest faction? Or or maybe I, I throw my weakest faction, call it a wash. And so you're, it's kind of a little bit of strategy to that, but also really, really hard to do because you have no idea who your opponent's going to be and, and what their factions would be. So um, I just kept it simple. I picked what I thought was would be my best faction. So I picked Sand Goblins to go as my number one. Um, and then I, I had to choose between fungal doors, high elves, and cloaks, which one I wouldn't want. And I, I don't know. I, I, I felt like I, high elves are really strong at the time. I, I had a hunch. I never really took them to any competitive scene, but when I was playing my, my public games with them, I was like, man, these guys, they, they have a lot of tools. Um, they have a lot of flexibility and these are things I like because I, I feel like no matter what you're matched against, you have options. Um, so I ended up not taking cloaks. Um, slightly regretted it, but I think it worked out in the end. I think um, when I first saw the matchup with Water D and uh, I was my Fungal Dwarves against his Savannah Elves, I was like, man, that's a poor matchup for Fungal Dwarves. And then I looked at you know his other picks, which were Breakers and Polar Dwarves, and I was like, well, the only matchup I would like as Fungal Dwarves is maybe Polar Dwarves. Um, and I'm just, you know, I feel like Fungal Dwarves, they are starting to get figured out by people. And so there's just a lot of answers that are now coming and people are like, okay, I know how to deal with them. I know what cards to keep, what not to. Um, Breakers probably would have been worse, right? For Fungal Dwarves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. About the same probably, but not better. <laughs> yeah, no, I I uh I had a tough game with Massimo last last tournament where uh Massimo's breakers um, are he, so hard. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, just having all your units next to you is just a liability to get mind captured, mind controlled, um and and blast it through. And so um yes, yeah, back to your question. You do you do get to pick which factions you take to the championship, but you have to do it as you sign up. <laughs> But yeah, it worked out. Um, if for anyone who hasn't watched those games, they're really exciting, especially the Fungal Dwarves versus Savannah Elves one. Everyone on stream was really hyped for that game. Oh, it was insane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, my jaw dropped. I was watching the last <laughs> roll, and I was like, oh my god, it's happening. 
I mean, I guess I could just summarize, but basically there was like an average roll throughout the turn, but the way that it came out was very, uh, very exciting. <laughs> I mean, we can talk about it. I, I think anybody who hasn't seen it yet can go back and watch it still, but... Like he had a Linus get up there and roll eight dice and get eight out of eight on a nine health Kuldak. Uh, and then he had a like a two for... He had two dice to win it and went 0 for 2. Just brutal. <laughs> but on but on average, 8 out of 10 melee is average, but getting it in that order made it really... I know. <laughs> like, And you know in these moments where they're going for lethal, and it's like something you kind of expected, so I knew he had Entangle. I thought he would come the other way, so I dropped the gate, but... Then he like walked eight spaces the other way, and I was like, "Oh God, here comes the pain." <laughs> and um, you you see the eight for eight, and you're at one health. In that like split second, you're like, "Ha! What if you go over two right now? I would just." <laughs> and then, yeah, that would have knocked happened. you out too. Yeah, I was like that, and, and that exact thing happened, and um, I was able to follow it up, and I was like, "Wow!" I I messaged him immediately after because I was just I was still in disbelief. Um, and I said. What are the odds? And, you know, actually, we, we did talk about the odds a little bit. I was like, yeah, you know, this is kind of as expected. But just the way that shook out is, uh, I said, man, you guys are going to love it. They're going to love it on the stream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Crazy ending. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then the third game was a bit of a blowout with your high elves. Yeah, no, that one I, I felt pretty good about. Um, and it was... You know, you play these games simultaneously, so you kind of have a feel for, for games you're winning, games you're losing. Um, I felt like Van Goblins versus Breakers was just, it, that game was getting away from me over time, and I, I didn't feel great about my odds, but I didn't feel like I was quite out. Um, Fungal Doors, I just felt, it felt kind of hopeless towards the middle slash end. I think there was a role in there where I basically had to kill one of my own carriers, not even infected, just kill it. Um, so that I could get the boost and pop two carriers. I missed. And so in order for me to not just have two carriers that are two boosted right next to me that I would just lose, I ended up just demanding my own carrier and killing nothing just so that it could die. <laughs> um, so I, I just I also felt pretty bad about that game. But I was on whenever I flipped over to the Polar Dwarves High Elves game, I was like, okay, well, you know, at least I'm not just going to get, you know, completely rolled. Um, and so I felt pretty good about that game. I think um, there was a moment where Water D kind of had me a little bit uh, nervous. Um, I It was right around the time, I think, Colby, mm, <laughs> they spoiled the ending, but um, essentially I was pushing up with Valeria, had Sanctity going up, felt pretty good. Then he trapped me with an Ice Ram. Um, and so I had to be very careful walking back, making sure there's no way he he kills me because I felt like I had a good advantage. But um, you'll see it if you watch the games. They're 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 pretty good. So speaking of high elves, you're probably the resident expert on them in the community. Uh, what would you say their strengths are currently? Crazy enough, they um their strength is like in their versatility, and I I mean I I say this about a lot of factions, um you know sand goblins cloaks, um but they do so in a way that like really allows you to play a lot of different types of games. Um, and from an economic perspective, I think they they do a lot. Um, I think peace is one of the strongest commons in the game, and its ability can really just make or break 
the tempo of a game, whether or not you have one or two units more on the board. Um, and I feel like the the amount of raw damage they can bring can really put your opponent on the back pedal. Um, I feel like Valeria is just one of the coolest summoners that has been released recently. And I know that Summoner Wars you know, has tend to has tended to evolve to more summoner focused decks. So like Buglug, you know, Balzar, um, decks that just like to pump a lot of damage in their summoner to get them involved. And that's that's fun. But I feel like Valeria in, in High Elves, they do it in a way that is a little bit more strategic, still kind of retains that power. Um, so her ability to force an enemy or allied common one space at in two different phases gives her a lot of positional and board flexibility that kind of makes it hard for your opponent to to really prepare for. Um, especially when you pair it with things like the epic, the epic, right? Like oblige or or the one that gives all of your commons uh, versatile. Then now you have so many varying board states that it becomes really hard to to kind of plan around. And so you know most I'd say most of my high elves games kind of starts out as I, I put out a lot of peace on the board. Um, I'm backing them up with war so that they're trading at range and usually winning those trades because. I mean, not many, not many ranged units can take out a three health, basically four health unit in, in one turn. Um, and so that usually forces your opponent to kind of think, okay, I, I got to start doing something. Um, and if they make a mistake, they whiff or they, they position incorrectly, then you have, you know, liberty, you have um, war, you have oblige, you have so many ways to either trap them, damage them, or, or, or straight up assassinate them. That it it becomes kind of you're you're screwed if you do and you're screwed if you don't kind of situations. So um, I think what ends up happening in a lot of high elves games is like um, you and and this is a good way to tackle them. You you end up just charging at them because you're like, well, I'm not winning this this trade, and um, they just have so many different tools that if on the offense it becomes almost impossible to kind of foresee and protect yourself against everything. Um, that's a lot to, to say but essentially i think um the summoner gives just so much value at at nearly all stages of the game and she can do so at in different phases and do so with different strategies such as like you know moving a unit to protect another unit moving a blocker out of the way so you can you know chip away at their summoner there's just so many things she can do that like really makes her so useful in any kind of game plan you decide you need to do to win the game do you find most of your games like go long and run out of the deck, or are you often getting these kind of assassination wins earlier in the game? Um, I I feel like I end up going for assassination more than I end up going for economy. Um, you know, the high elves don't really have a great way to to take back a game once you've decked out. There's no recursion really. I mean, your best bet probably is Cassia who can maybe just heal units to keep them alive. But if if you know Valeria was going against uh Jungle Dwarves, Fallen Kingdom, even Sand Goblins, um just just decks that have some sort of natural recursion to them, um, I don't think she would win that game. So if I find like I'm not winning on economy, and this typically happens with like Fallen Kingdom. I generally try to start making my way towards the middle of the board. And you'd be surprised with 
her ability to force in both move and attack phase, um, how much reach the High Elves actually has. And um, especially when you start thinking about commons like uh, the, the Priest, who can just be spawned on top of any of the Arbiters, um, that, that gives you incredible range, um, and it gives you a lot of you know, power in, in your offense. And so um, I find that most of my victories end up being before I deck out. And I think that's the strategic decision I would make if I feel like I might not win the Econ game, or I'm, I have a good shot at doing so. Any units that you think are like must plays like do you play all your priests or all your wars um so i mean i think my must plays are probably almost all of my pieces i think uh peace is probably essential in making sure your units are economically viable um War, I think, on the other end, is something that I pretty much discard almost always. I think I only keep about one or two. And that's just because, you know, they're not really frontline units. They they might seem like it, but they're not. Because the, the trade-off that they give and your opponent's ability to kill them last makes it a very bad trade most of the time. Um, I try to play, you know, about two or three of my Justices. They're kind of expensive, but... I mean, you know, a justice is just really good stat-wise. I mean, for two cost, he comes out at 5-3, which is equivalent to uh, the bear cavalry from Polar Doors, right? So already he's looking pretty good stat-wise. Now, his ability to atone and, and him damaging himself kind of puts him on par with the curve. So, like, he, he goes to 4-3 if you attack with him. Uh, but the chances of him dying in one hit are, are usually pretty slim. So that one damage you deal to yourself is likely going to be something you give back to your opponent. And so at, 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 when you consider that, he's still slightly above the curve. So I'd say Justice is probably one of your stronger economic units. And if you pair it with Peace, he, he is just a monster. Um, I think Justice makes um, Albus more viable just because he essentially negates his ability on his own turn and that just makes him not only from a stat wise um cost efficient but the fact that he can act like finessa where every time someone does not damage to him just damage to anyone in general he's he's serving this retribution in something that would be normally reserved for like a champion or or divine retribution um and so i think he's he's more key than than people would think um, and I just played a summoner scuffle with Vexer where he took shadow elves and I took high elves. One of the debates, I think not even debates, one of the discussions I think was something you brought up, Jexic, where you asked how should we think about, you know, high elves when we're looking at justice specifically because his... You're just be feeding them boosts potentially, yeah. Oh yeah, and, and, and Vexer was definitely capitalizing on that and um something i didn't really know was that a seeker would attack justice which would be and be in range out, out of range of salundar's ability then can faint back into range and then choose to take a tone when she's in range of salundar's <laughs> ability so seeker that's was just funny. bringing the boost back with her and i was like man that's, <laughs> that's crazy i thought i was out of your summoner's range but you just you know decided to resolve that in a way where you could capitalize on it so um 
uh, even then, I I said it it is your your core unit, one of your core units. Um, and I mean, there's a reason you you start off with it too. Um, they just they're the damage and the bulk you need to kind of keep your your presence on the board. But you probably then send summon a lot of uh the priests too, just to heal them up per- periodically and and get board position. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, you know you're getting value because your your justice will always be injured from its first attack. Um, your justices are usually in the frontish lines, so you will have great spots to summon them with. And then um, something I love doing with justice is just denying my opponent the magic by having him kill himself with his own ability. So if he's at one health, I would just retreat all my units behind a gate, have him kill himself, give them no targets or magic. Or if I have Liberty up and I need two health for him to really dish out the damage, I might summon a priest on top of him, give him that two health, and then have him atone himself back to zero. Um, so, cool things you can do with him. Leaving a Justice on one health is like the worst feeling. <laughs> I had a game where I had Edia left a Justice on one health, like turn one, and then they played uh, Loyalty and ran up with the Justice and hit Edia for four damage, I just <laughs> and then died. <laughs> So that's definitely a thing you can do and just start chipping at the summoner with it or anything else. Just let your let your justice die on your turn and it feels good. That's a good tip. So you mentioned Albus, right? Do you think Albus is the strongest of the three champs? I know people like to play Cassie a lot. I feel like Titus is a trap. Oh yeah, I, I, I'd have to agree with you here. I think Cassie is probably the strongest um, potential-wise. Albus, Albus's strength lies within his cost efficiency. So at three magic, you're really not having to build for him a lot. Um, I think, you know, if you drew Cassia and Albus, I'd probably just keep Cassia. But, you know, if your champions were spread evenly throughout the game, you, you honestly could play both and, and use them both pretty well. I think Cassia just can do some absolutely insane things in the game, especially if you're facing a deck that cannot output a lot of direct damage or just burst down your unit in general. Um, I think we talked about it um, over in the, the previous finals, but well, you know, once I got Cassia out, I knew that Polar Dwarves, they didn't really have all too much burst potential. And so I could keep, I could really kind of expect what kind of damage to be taken from my units. And so putting Cassia in the middle of your, your army, it, it makes them feel near invincible. Um, she does a better job of healing than any other unit in the game and can do so without any cost which i think is key um on the other hand i think albus is a close second um and not just so that he could help get value out of justice but i think albus can just help you reform your auras in a way that benefits you the most not really have to worry about what your opponent is getting and um, an example I like to think of is uh, peace, right? So peace is probably the trickiest one to deal with because you know you're you're trying to put it in a position where it can do damage but not be exposed too much. But if your opponent decides to run up against peace, then you're in this awkward situation where you can't not give it the buff, but now you can't eliminate it. Albus can just neutralize that specific peace or that specific unit. And um, it lets you basically, you know, have your formation and it, it's sort of like a, a backstop so that you can make mistakes with your formations and it not be too devastating on your end. 
And at three magic, he he's not he's not too hard to play. So I I feel like I try to get him out every game I can. Um, but Cassia is definitely how I I feel like you win the economic curve. And then Titus, you haven't mentioned, so do you usually just discard him for magic? Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so I mean, I've I've talked about this on the Discord, and I feel like I've been really really trying to get him out in my games. Um, I do see potential. But it's it's just really hard to justify the six magic when you have so many great commons and other champions and, and pretty much every other card in the deck I would rather have, you know, two or three copies of than to get Titus up on the board and, and having that board wipe. Um having double greater engage uh is kind of overkill. And I feel like you know, it's cool when you're shoving an opponent away and just instantly killing them, but then you have nothing to attack. Um, and usually you don't need it. So, and then the taunt is also not not bad, but like I, it just feels a little out of place in the deck for me at least because I feel like you know you you don't get the peace aura on your champions. You want them to hit things that have the peace aura. Um, so I, I wouldn't know really when I would put him on the board outside of protecting Valyria. But then I asked myself, why would I need to be protecting Valyria if, you know, I'm not, you know, I, unless I make a mistake, right? Like, I, I generally don't send Valyria out to just fight just because. Um, I usually either start out when she has Sanctity or when, you know, I am reasonably protected. But if I have Sanctity up on her, I don't want them hitting my champion. I want them hitting her. So. It just never felt right for me to build, you know, get it out on the board. And given all the other commons I kind of want to play, I never really had the magic. And so I generally discard him. Um, I haven't yet found a, a really strong use case for him. So, their event suite, do you generally discard some of those for magic or what, what do you play most often? So, I try to play all my sanctities. I feel like Sanctity is definitely one of Valeria's signature events. I know Oblige is the epic. Um, Oblige to me is basically kill one of their commons, uh, and and it, and generally it that's what I use it for. But sometimes maybe I'll I'll use it as like sneaky assassination. So you know I I clear their blocker, then I'll oblige a unit in front of me and hit their summoner. Um, but I feel like Sanctity is really how you can you can really just take control of the game. Um, because, you know, Valeria herself, as a summoner and a combat unit, she can pretty much take on your entire enemy's board. Um, her, her ability to move things out of the way or, or deal two automatic damage to them, and also, you know, make sure units just don't walk past her. Uh, she just does so much. And so... I try to get Sanctity up when, when I feel like my my board is close to getting wiped or they have a lot of commons on the field that I could just send Valeria in and really force them to only do one damage at a time. Um, another event that I've really been liking a lot is uh, Liberty. I feel like giving all of your units versatile is, is where your damage comes from. Um, now, I know one of the key drawbacks of High Elves and something that really messes with a lot of players is that all of their events apply both ways. And so when I give a general, yes, flavor of each of these events, you, you definitely have to evaluate the matchup, right? Um, 
Sanctity, for example, is actually worse when you're playing against Fallen Kingdom. Um, and I learned that the hard way. <laughs> one one life to summon, yeah. One life to to pull up units, and so that's just not worth it for me because, like, yeah, I'm up there doing cool things, but he's uh he's summoning undead warriors for one health. It's like insane, and um, you know, you kind of have to weigh your options. So, like Liberty, for example, I I try not to. You know, I definitely wouldn't play Liberty as much in a deck full of ranged units like Breakers, um, because Liberty is nuts on on ranged cards. They can attack from pretty much everywhere, um, especially when your your unit has on attack abilities like Wind Mage or Gunners, right? And so they're just doing completely crazy things that I I figured I might as well just discard it for Magic and and play a a safer game at that point. But matchups aside. I think Liberty wins games. I sh- I think that if your opponent is, you know, they they're walking up, maybe they have a low health gate, or you know, maybe you can summon a priest in a position where it can hit the summoner twice and be buffed by either loyalty or war. That's that's six dice, and that's um, and that's really not hard to pull off. Your opponent, you know, while they get the ability of it, they might not be positioned to do that. Maybe they're playing a deck that doesn't have great ranged commons. Maybe their gates aren't in the right spot. And maybe their summoner just took a lethal two or three hits that they have to spend one of their movements to put them in safety and maybe another movement to 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 block off any potential assassination. So they just can't reap the benefits because of that first move advantage. Um, and I really think that's kind of how High Elves really takes the cake is even though they give auras and they give events abilities to both sides, the ability to to know when to play it and having that first mover advantage means that you can kind of predict what their response would be and understand when it's like most advantageous. So playing Liberty when you think they they have to retreat as a response. Uh, loyalty, I see myself discarding one copy of sometimes, you know, I think uh, it's good to have, but it's also really bad when your opponent can take advantage of it. Um, I feel like there's not really all too many instances where I can bring units into their summoner's face, or I have ranged units next to Valeria to kind of capitalize on loyalty. So if I had to discard an event, usually it would be a loyalty. Um, but that's probably how I would think about and, and obviously, I think Oblige I play two of every time. I just think there's just so many things you can do with it that it's never not relevant. So, so which matchups do you think are tougher for them? As far as you know, the other factions, um, if they so, have any, <laughs> you, make them, you make them sound so powerful, but now it's like, but yeah, I'm sure that there's people out there struggling with them. So yeah, I know. Um, no, they they're not invincible. I don't think they have. You know, they're they're strong against every faction. I think, um, for example, Fallen Kingdom is probably one of their tougher matchups, um, just because you can't play Sanctity, um. I don't really think you can assassinate as well because of how many units they are putting on the board with their resurrection. Um, I think that Fallen Kingdom just has a much better econ game, and their units are already pretty strong comparatively. Um, I mean, for example, if you think about the Justice interaction, like, you know, an undead carrier at two health hitting a Justice, put him at one, just so that he's easier to eat, actually works against you right so that they're just recurring that mechanic or maybe they maybe you can't stop peace from giving auras to some of their zombies 
making it much difficult for you to to effectively clear them out. Um, I think on that same note, probably Fungal Dwarves is probably on the tougher side. Um, you know, sure, Valyria can go in and, and kind of shift their formations, but I feel like decks that have a very clear path to economic victory, it, it makes it tougher for High Elves. Um, I think I think Sand Goblins probably has a slight edge against uh, High Elves and probably Phoenix Elves. Um, and I say that because um, they both have very consistent automatic damage, which is kind of very devastating for any sort of peace formations. Um, Phoenix Elves, I played a match or two, and I realized how difficult it was to not be able to move a unit next to Maldaria. Um, and I guess this is more of her like updated ability, but I've uh, there's a lot of times where I'm like, I can't, I can't move any unit to damage them. Um, and so that kind of just takes away from my whole game plan. And then um, their automatic damage is just tearing apart my piece. Um, and so I, I really find like I have very little options to work with when I'm facing those decks. Um, and then Shadow Elves, I feel like, they can really abuse justice a lot, um, so makes it a lot more difficult for me to put out one of my biggest damage dealers. And then they could also easily assassinate Valeria with some of their uh, basic assassination attempts. Um, and they also have very good recursion and economic methods. And so when we talked about it a little bit earlier, High Elves don't have recursion. They don't have a way to win once your deck is out. They just, you know, just have to hope for an assassination at that point. And uh, so Lundar can just stay in the back and, and, and do his thing. There's really not much you can do about it. So um, just throwing out a handful of factions there, I feel like the game is pretty balanced, right? I feel like there's no unwinnable matchup. You just have to figure out what cards you need to keep around and, and search for and, and what is like the right moment to play it in order to win. So um, I definitely don't think they're unbeatable, but um, if you don't really know how to tackle them, it's going to feel very overwhelming for sure. So if someone's learning high elves and they want to play against some easier matchups, what do you what do you recommend? I think some of my better matchups as high elves, uh, probably like the polar dwarf matchup. I've played it even before the finals, um, and that's mainly because that deck doesn't really have a lot of damage potential, and that really just serves to Valeria's like benefit. Um, Ram also recently got nerfed, so sending Valeria in to charge and, and, and you know, completely wreck their board with Sanctity, you don't really have to be afraid of, of a crazy assassination because you get bounced around, right? Um, I think decks that generally don't put out a lot of damage um, are probably going to be easier for High Elves. Um, I've played a couple of Cave Goblin matchups, and honestly, I felt pretty good about them. Um, I think justice is just completely devastating for low health units, <laughs> especially like slingers. I, I I've played the cave goblin matchup or as the cave goblins, and I was like, this feels ho horrible because you have so many two life guys that can just get shoved around by Valeria, and then if you have a slinger near justice, you just like die, and uh, like you have to like attack a piece with the slinger and hope you get no hits just to get that first hit on the piece, and then do other weird stuff. It's it's weird. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, for sure. And it's like, um, you, you just, you're, like, Cave Goblins are very, very common heavy, and so Valeria just can punish that. Um, 
Sanctity helps the Enraged the Horde turns and Pylon turns, but you know, given how many extra attacks they have, it kind of helps offset that a little bit. But even then, I feel like High Elves kind of has a, a little bit of an advantage there. Um, there's still a lot of matchups I haven't played. Uh, like I don't think I've done High Elves versus Wayfarers or uh, done it against Savannah Elves. That one's an interesting one uh, because Justice kind of counters Border Archer, but Border Archer counters Peace, so it's it's like a little weird love triangle there um uh, but yeah no i'd say those are probably some of my easier matches um for from a high elves perspective so you did a massive guide for fungal dwarves do we think there's one coming or in the works for high elves is that something that you're looking at doing no i've, I've thought about this um because when i was playing it i think um i i would be i would frequent the discord a lot and and kind of when people talk about high elves i'd be super interested um, not necessarily because I, I just want to go there and like impart wisdom or anything. I, I, I'm curious to see how other people are handling it because I always like to see how people play them just in case I might be missing something. Um, so I, I've thought about it. So right now I'm actually in progress, uh, in the process of writing the Sand Goblins Advanced Guide. And um, that one I, I started a while ago and... Community will have to forgive how long I'm taking because I think there's just a lot of life events that happen in the middle of that. Um, needless to say, I, I have the draft done, right? Like I, I've written out most of the content, um, but similar to what I did for Fungal Doors, I really, really like showing board state examples um, and kind of annotating that way. So that's kind of what stage I'm on with Sand Goblins. And um, I feel like that that just really does a lot for a guy to kind of be able to reference board state when you're looking at just a bunch of text so um i i wouldn't be opposed to writing the high elves ones i actually am was very interested in kind of putting my thoughts down together as i learn a faction and kind of writing it especially for guides especially for factions that i think are just the more complex side right like things that people i think people should really try to consider to kind of make it less daunting for them um not necessarily a beginner's guide but just something that i feel like you can take that faction to the a competitive level. Um, so at the moment, I I'm, haven't really started or had any plans to do it, but it would be the next faction I try to tackle after I finish the Sand Goblins Guide. So you're also involved in like a lot of community events um, in the Discord. You've been in a lot of tournaments and events that are put on by different members of the community from like Red Debrea's uh, Deck Building League, the Normal League, uh, Shibata's tournaments, the Tournament of Champions. What do you like about these, and uh, why do you like join all of them? Basically, uh, I have a problem. That's that's. Too. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I mean, outside of just being obsessed with the game, I think uh, these community-run events they all offer something like slightly different, um, and and it's very interesting to me how you could take the same game and and cut it and slice it in different ways um to make it just like a slightly different experience um, i guess i'll start with like the the chibata tournaments right so these are custom fan-made fan-run tournaments that offer different divisions or brackets as you call it um and i think my initial appeal to it was it was the only tournament where you could play custom deck building that's one and then 
two, it's the only tournament that offers a team kind of perspective to it. And so um, those two things kind of drew me to these tournaments because I was like, wow, it'd be cool to kind of like cooperate with other people on a team. And then the other end of that, like I, I was very interested in deck building. Um, I, you know, I come from deck building card games that are standard to like TCG and, and like Magic the Gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh! And so um, it's always been something that's appealed to me. Um, but I never really found a good, I guess, place to kind of compete with it. I think there was, you know, you could queue up deck building back in, you know, last year or so, but the, it, it, you just couldn't get immediate games or, or at least compete with it consistently. So, um, that was always fun. And then I think just having a team aspect to it really kind of not fostered the community, but it really gives a different sense of enjoyment and fulfillment when you're playing these games. And it really didn't even feel bad to like lose specific games um, because. Oh, my teammates got my back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like, you know, hey, I, I made a mistake. I played poorly. And you know, the com- community is so great. And, and no matter who you're playing with, they're usually, you know, they're not uber competitive to where, you know, you feel bad for losing. Um, but it feels like a team effort, both winning and losing. And so. Uh, you share in the success. You 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 kind of work through the trenches when you lose. Um, and then you know, I feel like you also have this. I think sense of community where you're like, wow, you know, um, when you enter competitive scene, you might feel alone, even if you don't do like the league or whatever. But then you meet a couple of people. You kind of make friends with them. You join a team, and then you start to learn from each other which I think is is super beneficial because when you play like a regular tournament, you don't really know, you know you made a mistake, can't really understand why you made that mistake. Uh, you don't really see the other perspectives. And, and it's crazy because, you know, you feel like you know the game, but when you play with other people, especially, you know, people uh, play at your level, they, they teach you things. And I'm still learning things about the game that I, I haven't really considered. And because of the, the conversation that happens when you play in a team. Um, so I'd say, you know, at least for Chibata's tournaments, those are some of my, my bigger appeals and, and kind of why I, I always sign up for those things. Um, I think, uh, some of the other tournaments you listed, so Hardy Breeze deck building tournament, um, the tournament of champions. Um, so these all offer something kind of unique, but they're kind of similar in the sense that these are like a pick one faction or you represent one faction and you kind of take it through the tournament. Um, I've always thought that was cool. I, I do like diversity in, in my play, but, you know, being able to say I am the representative of X faction, uh, feels cool, uh, at least to me. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I feel like the Tournament of Champions is uh, another good one. Uh, so this one is tournament where the community votes uh, who represents what factions. So it's always an honoring thing, kind of like uh, a very, very just nice gesture to say, oh, wow, people believe I am the best at X or Y faction. It, you know, it never really even feels like, you know, a chore to do it, right? It doesn't feel like, oh, no, just another tournament. It's like, wow, you know, people believe that I am the best at this faction. So let me just, you know, service them. Let me, let me do my best to, you know, prove that. And so... Feel like every every community run tournament always does something slightly different or they do it in a way that you know has the community involvement that makes it more than just i'm playing a game i'm i'm winning or losing right it's like hey 
I'm part of a bigger community that's either watching me or competing with me. I think that kind of brings a sense of fulfillment in these games that can kind of feel very uh, lonely at times because it's a two-player game, right? And so um, you don't really get a lot of those uh, in two-player games. And so I feel like kind of sense of community really, really gets me signing up for each and every tournament, even if I know I, I, I can't handle it. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think that's about time, but you, you've given us a lot of your time and we really appreciate having you on and telling us about all high elves and the tournaments and everything. No, absolutely. I mean, I love what you guys are doing. I think, you know, the very start of the conversation, right? Like, I, when I first heard about the game, instantly fell in love with it. I knew I knew I had stumbled across magic. It just was unfortunate that there's not a lot of content out there. So I'm always supportive of, of anyone in the community trying to do more content, put the game out there. And, and even if it ends up just being just for a small niche community who really, really loves the game, I, I, I feel like, you know, that that's still great, you know, and um, happy to happy to do this. Obviously, I, I feel like, you know, I, I, I know you guys very well in the community. Um, so, you know, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming. Appreciate you being here. Any uh, place that people can find you or interact with you or anything you want to shout out? Um, so I I don't really create any sort of content outside of just being, you know, a guest on some of these things. I I try to keep it light on my schedule just because I'm pretty busy, but I'm very active on the Discord. So people want to say hi or, or they, they're interested in hearing a specific thought of mine or, or just want to talk. I'm always on the Summoner Wars Discord. So that's probably your best place to find me. Um, so don't be shy. Feel free to say hi. <laughs> or if you make the next... Uh base deck tournament finals uh, profits sure to be there so <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that that'll that'll you know what are the odds <laughs> this has been uh, discard for magic we appreciate everybody listening we'll see you guys in two weeks Bye.